You're listening to another edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Here's your host, Peter J. Mulroy. What a week, right? You had the end of the regular season in the NFL, the college football national championship game. Michigan absolutely smoking Washington in a contest. We've had back-to-back championship games that have been absolute blowouts from last season, Georgia, just completely whitewashing TCU 70-7 to or whatever the score was. And then Michigan hanging 34 on Washington to the Huskies 13 points. It was just an absolute domination. We'll talk about that. But the news that came through this week, and again, we always thank you for joining us on Sports Today with Peter J. A couple minutes after 7 p.m. Eastern time out here in New York City. Welcome to the latest edition. And the news kept pouring in this week. And tis the season, right? Everyone knows that the end of the NFL regular season, as teams try to prepare for the draft, those who didn't make the playoffs, they get ready to see who they might bring back, what type of cap situation they'll have, while the teams that played well get ready for the postseason, which begins this weekend. Picks coming up later in the show and a complete breakdown of Super Wild Card Weekend. 24 hours after the regular season ends, you have what's known as Black Monday, and that's when heads begin to roll, if you will. And I and I bring that up because not only did we get the Black Monday coaching changes from the top down, coordinators switching jobs, switching roles, head coaches getting canned like Mike Brabel was probably the shock of the week, right? Mike Brabel is one of the best head coaches in the National Football League, and he gets canned in Tennessee. Granted, down year, but you just don't let guys like that go. And Tennessee did basically off a difference of opinion, which is a problem that we can peel back the layers of the onion there um, later in the show. If callers like to bring that up, we can certainly do that when we go through the coaching carousel. But you've got big names out there and it happened in college football as well. And that's where I'll start tonight. Before I get into recapping last Monday's national championship game, Michigan winning its first title since 1997. The real big news of the week came out of Tuscaloosa, and that is that Alabama head football coach Nick Saban is retiring after what was nothing short of a legendary run with the Crimson Tide. I mean, if you have half a pulse or half a toe dipped in the college football pool, you know all about Nick Saban. 
Toledo, to Michigan State, to LSU, to Alabama. Won a national championship at LSU, then went on to win six with the Crimson Tide. Now, this is a man who stood on that sideline, recruited as well as anyone, and he really wasn't too controversial, right? When you think about it, he's got that dry personality, right? Not the most jovial person a la Bill Belichick. There's parallels there. More on that in a couple minutes with the media. But the guy knows football. 15 and 17, two years in the NFL, people will have their opinions on his stint with the Miami Dolphins there as well. But the man knows how to coach. And he was recruiting and he was molding young men. And if you think about that from a football perspective in getting guys prepared for the next level, what is more of a path to the NFL draft than Alabama? I mean, it's an absolute factory. And it and Nick Saban was the reason that, you know, following it, the job when he left the Miami Dolphins to go to Alabama, you know, Alabama was a, a middling program. They weren't that, everyone knows the name, the branding was always there, but from wins and losses and, and the dominant that you saw from Alabama from the days of yesteryear really wasn't there. And then comes Nick Saban. Everyone's going to have their opinion, but you pay attention to some of the news today surrounding Alabama. Not that Nick Saban retired, but that they were quick to name a replacement. Before I get into that, you had Auburn fans talking on the SEC network, SEC radio, Southern fans, right? TCU, Texas, LSU, a rival. All of these fans calling in and basically praising Nick Saban. Now, are they praising him now because they're happy to not have to deal with him anymore? I'm sure that's part of it. But you talk about leaving a mark on college football if, in fact, Nick Saban is done at 71 years old. We don't know. He might have a lot left in the tank. Family guy, too. And he likes to golf. Got a lot of life left in him. You know, maybe he is done. He's done literally everything that not only was he asked to do when he took the Alabama job. I mean, he did it in style. Some of the national championships that he won, some of those national championship games that he won, A.J. McCarron, Mark Ingram, um, Greg McElroy, who I was listening to on the radio earlier today, they were freight trains. I mean, those are legendary teams that you'll think back and say, wow, I might have hated them in the moment. And believe me, as a, as a lifelong Notre Dame fan, I, you know, I got pits in my stomach from how Alabama just smacked them around the field. Like a major, like the 27 Yankees playing the Staten Island Yankees. But you are going to miss this because this is the type of run you may never see again. And in typical Alabama fashion, now that that tie is rolling, you know, they came up a play short of playing for the national championship again, losing to the eventual champion this year, Michigan, in the semifinals. This is an Alabama team that can keep the momentum going. And I say that because when we heard that Nick Saban was retiring, the penultimate name that was attached to the Alabama job was Oregon head coach Dan Lanning. And that makes sense. Now, Lanning doesn't have the track record as a head coach from the perspective of years on the sideline. But we've seen so many first-time coaches that might be younger in age who took jobs for their first time are – 
fairly successful landing the best of that bunch. I don't even think it's close. So he was a popular name to watch because he gets the NIL. He's not afraid to go into it. He's spending the money, went out and got Bo Nix. And he's able to play those games to really embrace. And those of you who listen to the program know that I am not the biggest fan of this transfer portal crap and the NIL stuff. It has to be regulated much better than it is. Because we can't even say it's going to get out of control. It is out of control. But Dan Lanning does it as well as anyone. Only two losses for Oregon this year were to the national runner-up in Washington. That's a pretty damn good resume. So he was the name to watch until today. And it's ironic that the coach taking the Alabama job was the only coach to beat Dan Lanning this year, and he did it twice. That was Washington's head coach, Kalen DeBoer. Coming off a 14-1 campaign and a national championship appearance. This is as good a segue, as good a transition as you could possibly get. Look, you could throw out the names like Steve Sarkeesian, Mike Norvell from Florida State. Sarkeesian obviously did a great job in getting Texas to the Final Four this year. You know, I, I thought someone maybe in-house, I guess you could have assumed that offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, who did a nice job in Tuscaloosa this year, would get a look. But Alabama goes with DeBoer. DeBoer. Now, earlier today, Mike Norvell re-upped with Florida State. Steve Sarkeesian uh, backed up his commitment along with Dan Lanning to Texas and Oregon, respectively. Perhaps that played a role. But Alabama is going to get a head coach now that can recruit out West. 25-3 and record across two seasons at Washington. Now that there's a buyout there that he's going to have to pay because he was locked in back in November, signed a contract that was going to keep him at UW until 2028. If he were to leave, attached came a $12 million buyout. So DeBoer, based on that contract, is now on the hook for that. He's about to become the head football coach at the University of Alabama. I don't think money is going to be too much of an issue when contract details come out. Obviously, uh, we'll let you know about it on this program if they come out in the next hour or so on socials or we'll discuss it next week. But if DeBoer can take his recruiting acumen out from the West Coast, continue that and keep that pipeline, Central Alabama, Southern Alabama, the hotbeds of Alabama football, and there are folks, they get as many people watching high school football in that, in that state as much as they get watching the Tide, as much as they get watching the Iron Bowl. If you can continue to recruit there, Alabama sells itself. And a big reason why is because of what Nick Saban did in his 17 years on that sideline and on the recruiting trail. I think despite what many people will say, even the, the rival fan base praising Nick Saban, but sort of laughing in the face of Alabama because they don't really know all that much about Kalen DeBoer. They see a West Coast guy, former D2 coach. Well, if you paid attention to the last two years, who's done much of a better job bringing a team back up than Kalen DeBoer? National runner-up this year, and he had the Heisman runner-up at his disposal, who he was responsible for coaching and fine-tuning. Michael Penix is a hell of a player. Didn't have a great game. We'll get into that in a second against Michigan. But DeBoer's the the driver of the car. So I think a lot of people, especially down south, or the Alabama fan base might be uneasy because they don't know much about DeBoer. 
and they can't wrap their heads around of who is now no longer going to be on that sideline. And that I get. Interesting thing for Washington moving forward is where they go. Because don't forget, this was the last year of the Final Four. College football playoff, thank God. I wanted 16, but it expands to 12 teams next year. Washington goes from the Pac-12, which is basically an afterthought at this point, to the Big Ten. So you're going to have an opportunity there, or Washington has an opportunity to continue its own momentum while Alabama's trying to do the same thing in replacing Nick Saban with Kalen DeBoer. And I'll tell you now, there are going to be a, a wide variety of head coaches that are interviewed for that Washington job. How much longer is Troy Calhoun, the head coach of Air Force, going to get ignored? Unless he's blatantly turning jobs down, all this guy does at the Air Force Academy is win football games. Nine wins, ten wins, nine wins, ten wins, bowl win, bowl win, bowl win. Commander-in-chief trophy every year, it seems. I think that would be a great fit to keep the momentum rolling. As someone who potentially would be a good fit in taking over with that West Coast vibe, knowing it well, and I'll tell you another name. I had two. You know, Kyle Whittingham from Utah, you you might expect could get a call. But Kalani Sataki, the head coach of BYU, is right there for me with Troy Calhoun. Alabama's solidified its next head coach. Now Washington's got to do the same as it makes the jump into the Big Ten. I'm talking to Sataki, who's 61 and 41 during his time at BYU, and I am absolutely picking up the phone and calling Troy, Troy Calhoun. I don't know how you don't do that, how you don't make those phone calls. There's going to be a lot of them. And this is going to be a process for Washington. And even though Romo Dunza is going to the draft, he announced today, could be a top 10 or even a top five pick as one of the premier wideouts coming into this class. And Michael Penix is probably going to be a first round, perhaps after the national championship lackluster performance, he slips to the early second round. Bottom line is those guys are gone, but Washington is in a position to rebuild. And you've heard me say it on this program before on how to build a program. The, br- the blueprint right now, in my strong opinion, comes from Eli Drinkwitz and Missouri. Across four years going on five from the ground up in the SEC, no less, where defenses try to kill the opposition. That guy has taken an up-and-coming roster and turned them into a perennial playoff contender. Because if you're a Missouri football fan, now going into a season where the field for the playoff expands from 4 to 12, if you're a Tigers fan, you are not thinking anything other than playoff. That can still, moving forward, be that mindset for Washington. The move to the Big Ten will help them. It's a draw. But they've got to nail the head coaching hire. Kalani Sataki, Troy Calhoun, I would call both. I get the connection with Whittingham. I don't disagree with it. There are other coaches around as well. Obviously, Alabama did its due diligence, and they probably got outside of Lanning the best available in Kalen DeBoer. Last we saw DeBoer on that sideline as we switch into just sort of recapping Monday night's national championship game with DeBoer guiding Washington into that game. 
it was a contest. I mean, you go to the break in a seven-point game, Michigan up 17-10, Washington's got the ball to start the third quarter. Now, Michael Penix Jr. certainly was not at his best. And he, and he admitted as much after the game. Now, one of the things that Penix said, I don't want to say it rubbed me the wrong way, but Penix said he wasn't at his best, but he also kind of hinted that he didn't think Michigan did all that much either. Basically saying that the mistakes the Huskies made were the difference in the game. Now, he's correct. He threw two picks. The one on the first drive of the second half was a backbreaker. But when you have two guys on the opposing team, and I'm talking about Blake Corum and Dylan Edwards, ran for a, a combined almost 250 yards and four touchdowns, you can't say that the opposing team really did nothing. I mean, you you know what Michigan's coming with. Good offensive line, best defensive front in football, the second level on the defense, the guys fly to the ball. We saw that against Alabama. And you knew Alabama was going to score at some point. But to limit that offense, especially the way Jalen Milrow had been playing coming into the game at that QB position, look, nothing outside of the Dallas Cowboys winning a Super Bowl makes me cringe or makes me ill in my pit than having to talk about the Michigan Wolverines winning a national championship in football, especially after the two cheating scandals that seem to have just magically freaking disappeared. But from an X's and O's perspective, they were the best team in America. To be able to push opposing lines back with that defensive front and then run the ball the way they do. Now, with the draft coming up, a lot of talk will be around J.J. McCarthy. I think he was 10 of 18 for a buck 45, something like that. Didn't do a lot to wow you, but manages that. And he's more than a game manager, I'm not saying. But in that moment, the way that game was going, all he had to do was manage it. Get the ball to Corum and Edwards and move the chains on third down when you need to, and that's what they did. And the interesting thing, as they capped their season 15-0 and with their first title since 1997, now Michigan will, will kind of be on the clock as far as its coach is concerned. What does the future hold for Jim Harbaugh? I mean, there's going to be, there already is tons of NFL interest. You got openings, the Titans, which still blows my mind that Mike Vrabel was let go. I, I mean, you want to talk about a move that could come back to bite you instantaneously? Well, we're going to talk about the NFL in a couple of minutes. That that This is a, a tough pill to swallow, and I have no lineage to the Titans whatsoever. But you got the Atlanta Falcons, the Washington Commanders, the Carolina Panthers. I mean, if he wanted to take the Atlanta job, let's roll. Working with the weapons that they have there on both sides of the ball, Atlanta might be a good fit for Jim Harbaugh. Unless he elects to stay. Now, they pushed spring practice, the start of it, back a month. But there's going to certainly be more to come. As far as coaching changes, as we're out of the national championship now, Michigan's in celebration mode, and it's time to prep for next season. It'll be a different feel in Tuscaloosa, but the tide are still the tide. Washington loses a head coach, but they make the leap to the Big Ten, and I have faith that they will get their next hire correct. Now, a question came from one of our listeners, Tom. Do you think Tommy Reese will go to LSU and rejoin Brian Kelly if he's out at Alabama, or does he get a head coach shot somewhere else? You would have to think, and that's a good question because I, 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 I it is something that crossed my mind earlier in the week. Um, 
when we started to 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 read into the fact that Nick Saban was going to retire, Kalen DeBoer is going to want to bring his own guys with him. Um, and I would suspect that Washington's next hire comes out of house. So as far as Tommy Reese is concerned, Brian Kelly just lost his offensive quarter coordinator, ironically, to Notre Dame. So is it possible that Reese may go back with Brian Kelly? Sure. I mean, the wheels are spinning. We can speculate all we want. Tommy Reese is going to be a head coach sooner rather than later. I mean, Notre Dame's head coach, when he took the job a couple of years ago, basically said that. You've got good coordinators. If they're getting head coaching jobs, it means you're doing something right. Now, you know, I'm, by listening to the show, I am by no means the biggest Brian Kelly fan, but the guy can coach. His general pompous attitude and lackluster recruiting and development at the quarterback spot is what irked me, but the guy certainly left Notre Dame in a better spot than when he took it over from Charlie Weiss. So could you see a situation where someone like Tommy Reese, who, who was criticized for the, the final play call of the national semifinal against Michigan, go back with Brian Kelly, who he played for and then coached with at Notre Dame? Sure. There's coaching jobs still available out there, and I'm sure Tommy Reese is kind of scratching in his head thinking, now what? But that's a resume for someone like Tommy Reese that can't be ignored. Quarterback Notre Dame, offensive coordinator Notre Dame, offensive coordinator Alabama under Nick Saban. I mean, that's pretty good. So Tommy Reese is going to have the opportunity to continue his career at the highest of levels. As of now, Alabama, but we will see what Kalen DeBoer decides to do. I mean, and, and just before we switch to the NFL, looking forward, college football, folks, if it already doesn't, it's going to look a lot different. And that's not just because of the expansion from four to 12 teams in the playoff. Now, you think about what this year's format would have looked like. What if a Georgia team gets in or a high-flying LSU offense who would have been a fringe team in the top 12 this year? Conference realignment, the NIL stuff, or reimagining conferences, Pac-12, AAC, the SEC, the Big Ten. The landscape of the game, as we know it, is gone. It's going to look a hell of a lot different next year and in years beyond. It's still a great game. I still think there's purity there, but buckle in because there's it's a carousel. And because of the NIL stuff, from a positive, I think, you might have certain guys that you would expect to make that jump to the NFL, maybe stay in college. Emeka Igbuka, the, the, the really good 1A for Ohio State, the wideout opposite Marvin Harrison Jr., stay in put. So there's, you know, there's positives and negatives. There's pros and cons to everything. And, and I am interested to see how this new format plays out. I think it is long overdue. And I think overwhelmingly this transition with reimagining some of these conferences, as long as there's not really the dominant, just swallow all the little people attitude from the majors, and then the expansion in the playoff, I think it's been received overwhelmingly positive. But time will tell. And that will be sooner rather than later, for sure. 
with you every week. Sports Today with Peter J. So you talk about some of the changes that had gone down in college football, basically the minute the national championship came to the end. Take a look at what, what's happened in the NFL. And we've got plenty of coaching changes there, and I'll get to the biggies in a little bit. But I want to talk about this story that came out of New York Giants camp this week with Wink Martindale, the Giants defensive coordinator, after a 6-11 and season, apparently moving on. And it looks like that's where we are on this Friday, January 12th at 7.24 p.m. on the East Coast. So there were reports earlier in the week and even before the season end, the Giants end the season on a high note. I know a lot of Giant fans are pissed off that they won a, a meaningless game, but it's always nice to ruin the potential jockeying for playoff positioning for a rival. And the Philadelphia Eagles are a walking dumpster fire right now. So that's enjoyable, at least. They're not dead. They're in the tournament. They play Monday night against Tampa. I'll give my picks on that. They're not dead, but they're hurt. They're banged up. They're still flying, but that wing is damaged. So you had this report that Martindale was going to elect to leave the Giants despite previous reports that said he might stay there. So confusion galore. I go to the New York Post. I'm a big Paul Schwartz fan. He writes an article. The day after the Giants won the regular season finale at MetLife Stadium last Sunday, that basically said Wink Martindale was marching to the beat of his own drum despite the orders of head coach, and by the way, his boss, Brian Dable. In the piece, Schwartz goes on to say that Martindale cursed out Dable. Man, would you like to be a fly on the wall for that shout match between Wink Martindale and Brian Dable? A lot of baritone coming out of that room. But that Martindale cursed out Dable after Brian Dable fired outside linebackers coach Drew Wilkins. Now, if you don't know all that much about the intricacies of the New York Giants and the coaching staff, Wilkins was basically Martindale's wingman. Defensive schematics, game planning, and his brother, Kevin, was a defensive assistant. He was also whacked. So they're both gone. Martindale gets pissed. And the final piece to this that, that came out, and look, there's a layer to this with Brian Dable that I don't want to ignore. It's, it's fairly well known that Dable's an emotional guy. Right? He's all about consistency, communication, collaboration. I get all of that. But he's an emotional guy. He'll fly off the handle. He has a tendency to make things personal. He's addressed it. He's owned it. It doesn't seem to bother the players. But sometimes the coaches that he's worked with can get rubbed the wrong way. And, of course, it is now 2024 where you breathe the wrong way. Somebody's offended. It's just the world we live in. Hence the term snowflake. People are offended by everything. But Brian Dable owns that. The problem with, with when you have a personality like Brian Dable, then you take a veteran coach like Wink Martindale, a calculated, stoic, veteran guy. It's oil and water. So what happened was, according to the Schwartz piece in the New York Post, that Martindale and Drew Wilkins were basically creating their own allegiance, doing what they wanted, regardless of what was coming down from the top. You don't have to be a genius if you watch a Giants game to figure out that the, the defense was their best unit of the three, offense, defense, special teams, given the injuries and turmoil on the offensive side. But it's not like the defense didn't have its fair share of issues. So the interesting thing for me is you have a defensive coordinator marching to the beat of his own drum, doesn't like what a head coach does in reimagining his staff and firing guys, which he's certainly entitled to do and should do if he feels it's for the betterment of the program. And your defensive coordinator, who you brought on board, curses you out. Not great. 
And the tie-in to that is that if you go back to when Wink Martindale was at Baltimore, pressure package, bring the blitz, empty it out, go after the uh, the offense. Did the same thing in New York. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But he had those differences there with head coach John Harbaugh. So this feels a little all too familiar for Martindale, despite how talented he might be as a defensive signal caller. As far as... So what is the point of that story? It just continues with the coaching changes across college and and NFL. And I thought just to read this, it was well written by Paul Swartz, who's one of my... It might be my favorite sports writer. But it just goes to show you how petty some things can be sometimes where you could walk into a room, curse out your boss, walk out, and leave on your own terms. I mean, this is the world that we live in. I'm your boss. You come in and curse me out. You're not walking away. That shit ain't happening. And I I can't imagine having seen how Brian Dable is on the sideline, in pressers when the team loses. One thing to me is absolutely certain. And I'm. this is from someone who hosts this show, from a sports fan, from a football fan, and a diehard, suicidal, lifelong New York Giant fan. Yes, this is from the fan perspective, but this comes from common sense here. We know how Brian Dable's attitude has been sometimes, and he's owned it. Yes, he can fly off the handle. But this is damn well sure. Brian Dable clearly has the respect of his players. This, Folks, this team started 2-8. and eight. Multiple quarterback issues. Terrible offensive line protection. Bobby Johnson, offensive coordinator, uh, offensive line coach, gone. A defensive coordinator who has apparently gone rogue. And Dable kept it all together. Giants aren't a good team. They're not terrible, terrible, terrible. They're not a disaster. They had disaster moments, two games against Dallas, the Seattle debacle. But they play hard, and you never hear anything from those players in the media outside of maybe earlier in the season. When Xavier McKinney was saying some things about the defense, and then Wink Martindale basically embraced it, which probably didn't sit too well with Brian Dable. But to me, that shows class, commonality, reflection, and just a willingness to learn. You know, Dable came on board and said it was going to be tough days. But tough days were basically every day of the regular season this past year for the Giants. But they battled it. And I never heard a bad thing about the head coach that came from a player. So you go into the offseason now if you're the Giants. Where are you with the healthy QB1 Daniel Jones? Joe Shane said last week he might not be ready week one. You have to have a contingency plan. You cannot be the New York Jets and be unprepared at the quarterback spot if your guy goes down. Now, the Giants had Tyrod Taylor, who I've always liked, played well, and then he gets hurt. The DeVito thing was a nice story, but come on. So you've got to be prepared there. What happens with Saquon Barkley if they tag him before the March 5th deadline or get a long-term deal done, which, folks, I don't think is going to happen. Nor do I think it should. We'll have plenty of time for that. And then the Giants have to start preparing for the April draft, where they'll be a top-10 pick. So there's a lot going on in Giants camp. And I and I am sure that even though they didn't plan on losing Wink Martindale, if all of this stuff is true and all of this nonsense was going on, yes, Brian Dable is pl- prone to fly off the handle, but you can't have insubordination. If all of this stuff is true, then they'll be better for it. 
You can take a look at, you want to throw some names out, potential replacements for Wink Martindale. If the Giants stay in-house, their defensive backs coach, Jerome Henderson, is well-liked by the players. And if they want to keep rolling with the Martindale-type system, he knows it. Another name you're going to have to watch would be Patrick Graham, the Raiders defensive coordinator, because Dable wanted him to stay when he took the job two years ago, but he left for Vegas. And then Leslie Frazier, who I I would think is going to get a couple of interviews. Former Bills defensive coordinator, Vikings head coach, knows Dable well from the four years they did together in in Buffalo. He's probably the leading candidate unless the Giants go in-house. You throw out names like Anthony Weaver as well. But I would say Henderson, Frazier, Graham's probably your home run. But Leslie Frazier would probably be my leader in the clubhouse uh, as far as that is concerned for the New York Giants. Around the league before we get into the wild card round, when's the last time, and seriously, think about this, consider this, when is the last time we had two historic monumental moments in the same sport unfold in a matter of days? Nick Saban stepping away from the college game Three decades, 17 years at, at at Alabama, which stops at LSU where he won a national championship, Toledo and Michigan State, retires. And after 24 seasons and six Super Bowl victories and nine tries, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are parting ways. I mean, wow. In the same week, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick Each of them should get their own Mount Rushmore in football. Now, with Belichick, only the third coach in NFL history to win more than 300 games, most postseason victories as a head coach, 31, had the undefeated season in 2007, undefeated regular season, finished 18-1 after losing Super Bowl 42 to the New York Giants. But that partnership that Belichick and Tom Brady had was the stuff of legend. You're probably never going to see anything like that again. You know, I can think about um, the guys from, you know, when when my dad and my uncles were were kids and teens, um, the Roger Starbacks, even when they were younger, growing up, the Frank Giffords of the world, Terry Bradshaw, you had really good court, Lenny Dawson, Bart Starr, uh, Joe Namath, when I'm a kid, Brett Favre, even Aaron Rodgers now, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen moving on into the future, uh, perhaps Justin Herbert. I'm a huge Lamar Jackson fan, right? They're the future living now, doing great stuff on the field. There's been a hell of a lot of great quarterback coaching combos. But this Belichick-Brady marriage was the best of the bunch. I mean, you know, all the things Chuck Knoll did with Pittsburgh and the great quarterback play he got. Some of the great things John Madden did with the Raiders during his time. Joe Gibbs in Washington. The on-again, off-again romance between Phil Simms and Bill Parcells during their time with the New York Giants. John Elway with both Dan Reeves and Mike Shanahan. Belichick, Brady, I mean, come on. Now that we have have seen it, it's a book you just want to read over and over again. 
the negative indictment, indictments from Spygate and Belichick's, yes, sometimes contentious relationship with the media will be what his detractors remember. But 72 years old now, his work on the field as a tactician was masterful. And if you're asking my opinion, I don't think he's done. You got two spots to slot into, Los Angeles Chargers, Washington Commanders. He goes out west, he's got Herbert to work with. Now, LA's going to have some financial issues. Some guys they're going to lose that they owe a big threshold and cap money to. Mike Williams and Austin Eckler right at the top of that list. But you can't dismiss how just undervalued and underdeveloped Justin Herbert when healthy has been. You don't think Bill Belichick could go there and help the guy? Or going to a team like Washington, who's got pieces but needs direction. New ownership team, just moved on from Ron Rivera after a couple of underwhelming seasons. Need to figure out that quarterback spot, but there's pieces in Washington. There's going to be opportunity. Having said all of that, in quick fashion, just like Alabama did, it was announced early Friday morning that former Pats linebacker and current linebackers coach Gerard Mayo slides right into the head coaching role in New England. I'm thinking to myself how that could possibly be. Because I think like most people, when Belichick had had decided to step away, the mutual parting between he and the Patriots, and then Mike Vrabel was no longer at Tennessee, match made in heaven, right? Fun, peanut butter and jelly. Vrabel's still a free agent. That won't be for long. There was no, and you found out after the announcement that there was no formal interview process because the NFL was informed of a succession plan with Mayo, and that was implemented in a previous contract. That's a hell of a job by the Pats keeping that under wraps. Here's the guy that made two Pro Bowls, won Super Bowl 49 with the Pats, drafted 10th overall in 2008 following a great career at Tennessee. So he steps in for Bill Belichick. In the same week, Saban retires. Belichick moves away from New England. Pete Carroll is then out as the head coach in Seattle after 14 seasons. Now, that came from Pete Carroll following a wildly impressive run at USC. Carroll goes back to the NFL in 2010, wins the Super Bowl with with Seattle in 2014, where they absolutely blew the doors off the Denver Broncos. So you talk about a crazy week, a week full of news, and it all comes out of college football and the National Football League. Pete Carroll, gone in Seattle. Mike Vrabel, out in Tennessee. Bill Belichick, Patriots, divorce. And then Nick Saban retires at Alabama. I mean, this, this just doesn't happen. I mean, this is, this is Black Monday on steroids. And there's some feel-good things to it. Now, with NFL head coaching vacancies available, you got Carolina. You got the Raiders, who probably would be smart to strip Antonio Pierce to the interim tag. Obviously, the Titans job. Mike Vrabel's going to be a hot commodity. If you break down the, the coaches in the league now, he, he's top 10. He's in there with Andy Reid in, the, in, that, in, the, in that discussion. What he did with that Tennessee Titans franchise to take them to the depths and the levels that they achieved was remarkable. And, and through it all, mediocre quarterback play. And I don't dislike Ryan Tannehill, but he, th- that was what separated them in many cases from taking that final leap. You got the Falcons job, the Chargers job, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, 
Those are going to be monster cap hits for LA with Eckler and Gerald Everett to hit the free agent market. They have some decisions to make. I think if you give full autonomy to someone like Bill Belichick, it's a match made in heaven. Then you get the Seattle and the Washington jobs open. Now, if you're Washington, this can't be undersold either. Bob Myers, who is the former Golden State Warriors general manager, is there to help Washington with this rebuild. That has to give you, from an organizational standpoint, from a fan base standpoint, and then potential incoming head coach candidates, some peace of mind given that guy's track record. Because we know what the past has been for Washington with Daniel Snyder. It was a circus. A very offensive circus. But now moving on, you have to rebuild and you have to regroup. Having someone like Bob Myers there is a huge boon. So we'll see what happens there. <sighs> now, that, now that we got through all of that, let's talk about what's going to take place this week. And you got the wild card round, right? And it kicks off tomorrow. For those listening live, Saturday, January 13th, Cleveland goes to Houston, 4.30 p.m. Eastern start on NBC. Cleveland is a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and that sucks because I should have got it at two. Now it's at two-and-a-half. If you're Cleveland, it's a no-brainer. You got Joe Flacco at 38 the last five weeks, weeks 13 to 17, led the league in passing yards and touchdowns. Keep utilizing the play action. It worked against Houston earlier in the season. Granted, the Texans are playing good ball now. They've won a gutsy game against the Colts to get into the tournament. They get Will Anderson Jr., the middle linebacker, expected to be back. But who has been a better story, perhaps outside of this Houston team, who probably has the Rookie of the Year in C.J. Stroud, unless you're a a, a Puka Nakua fan uh, from L.A., and perhaps the Detroit Lions. Who's been a better story than this Cleveland Brown team? Quarterback carousel due to injury, still a banged-up offensive line, injuries on both sides of the ball, and here they are. Give me Flacco and the Browns, 27 Stroud and the Texans, 21. I think it's an awesome game. I think it's going to be an entertaining game. And I think it's going to be a glimpse to the future of what Houston has. And yes, even though Joe Flacco's 38, the pieces around him, the future remains incredibly bright this season and beyond for the Cleveland Browns. I think they move on. Miami goes to Kansas City Saturday night, 8 p.m. The game's on freaking Peacock. And I know people are pissed off about that. I don't necessarily blame you. Kansas City's a four-point favorite. It's going to be with the wind chill about minus 30 degrees in Kansas City. You know, what's the first thing you think of if you live in, in, in the New York City area like I do? The Giants run to the Super Bowl in 2008. They beat Green Bay in the NFC Championship game. And they show Tom Coughlin on the sideline. Is Irish, And the Irish do not do well in the cold. Ask any Irish man or woman. They do not do well in the cold. I'm one of them. Tom Coughlin looked like he looked like he was a, a clay sculpture where you could peel off his cheekbone. That's how cold it was. And then the Brandon Jacobs hit on Charles Woodson running the football where the paint chipped off the helmets in the cold. Everybody was blowing smoke. The guys down in Wisconsin with the big beards had icicles hanging off their beards. It's going to be colder. In Can- It'll be so cold in Kansas City tomorrow, folks, that you won't be able to smell the Kansas City barbecue. And I cannot believe I'm going to do that, do this, because they're down three pass rushers. The defense hasn't looked great. They've got a slew of physical ailments, but I am sorry. I am not buying this Kansas City Chiefs team. I am not buying their offense. I don't trust them up front, and I believe that this Miami running game can do what is needed to do. I think even in the cold, 
it's a little more high scoring. Miami, 28. Kansas City, 24. I'm in the minority. I get it. But I'm flipping that spread, and I'm taking Miami on the outright by four. Let's fast forward to Sunday, January 14th. Pittsburgh goes to Buffalo, and on the East Coast, you know all about the rain and the snow that's blown through. It's going to catch up to Buffalo as well uh, out in Orchard Park. Buffalo is a minus 10 favorite, 1 p.m. Eastern start time on CBS. I do think this game will be more competitive than most people expect, but there's not a hotter team in the league right now than Buffalo. Josh Allen's playing great football, and this is a Steelers defense that underwhelms to begin with. And oh, by the way, they'll be without TJ Watt. So I'll go right on that line. Perhaps a little higher scoring than people might think. I'll say Bills 30, Steelers 20. Next couple of games are the ones that I'm really going to have my eyes on. Number one, Green Bay at Dallas. 4.30 Eastern Time Sunday. Fox anchors the coverage, so you're going to get Burkhart and Olsen there, I believe. Dallas is minus 7.5, and, and that's probably where it should be. But here's the deal. It's the playoffs. And I do expect Dallas to defend home field where they haven't lost all season. I get it. Uh, Asterisk, right? Because if you saw that disgraceful Detroit ending. Look, things happen and calls are missed throughout every single game. But that one was ripped away a couple of weeks ago from the Detroit Lions. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We don't have to go into it. So Dallas remains perfect at home. And I think they will this weekend. But like the Buffalo-Pittsburgh game, I think this one's close. Dallas moves on. Something to the tune of 35-30. Because you've got two potent offenses here with quarterbacks who could sling it. It really, and think about this, outside of a couple of bumps and bruises, and it really his, his first starting action since college, hasn't it been fun to watch the development of Jordan Love? It seemed like the, you know, the underwhelming rollout for the kid, taking over for a legend in Aaron Rodgers, who got hurt before he could really do anything with the Jets this year. He'll be back, assumedly, next year. But I think this contest is obviously going to present the first major opportunity for the former Rodgers backup. And I think Jordan Love's going to play well. But I do see Green Bay coming up short. I hate to say you got nothing to lose because, yes, you do have something to lose. It doesn't matter if you're an underdog and the, and the deck is stacked against you. You do always have something to lose. If you lose, the season's over. So I hate when people say that, oh, you got nothing to lose. That's nonsense. Yes, they do. If they lose, the season is over. I don't think Green Bay is going to win, but I think they can go for broke a little bit. I think they know what they're doing on that side, and I think they have a plan. They've got Jaden Reed, Christian Watson, some good up-and-coming wide receivers. They can run the ball. They protect up front. Green Bay, I think, is going to cover this game. I think it's close, but I think Dallas wins by less than a touchdown. I truly believe that. I think it's going to be a really good game. And by the skin of their teeth, and you'll have a couple of strokes in that audience in Dallas. But I think the Cowboys move on. Although, I will say this. It's going to be hilarious if the Dallas Cowboys lose. It is going to be hilarious if the Dallas Cowboys lose. Let me say that a third time. Like I'm doing the candy man. It is going to be hilarious if the Dallas Cowboys lose. I'm laughing already. Rams go to the Lions. 8 o'clock Eastern Time, NBC. Lions are a home favorite. The Detroit Lions, folks, have a home playoff game. They haven't won a playoff game since 1991. Give me them in a thriller. 34-31. This is a Rams offense that when they've gotten a cool rolling with Kyrie Williams to help you back out of the backfield, Matthew Stafford playing well, and an all-systems-go Cooper Cup, 
that's an offense that is capable of doing severe damage in the postseason, obviously with Sean McVay steering the ship. The Rams are probably the most popular upset pick for many this week for those betting it. I got Detroit sitting on a money line parlay anyway, so I'm going Lions. With the Rams with a small line of plus three against them, why wouldn't you bet them? They're almost begging you to do it. And I get the sentiment, I just don't see it. Detroit's battle tested. They got a week one victory in Kansas City, two wins over Minnesota, and one over Tampa Bay. Minnesota was in the playoff race for most of the season. Tampa Bay is in the playoffs hosting a game Monday night. More on that in a second. And they were a horrendous officiating job away from handing Dallas their first loss of the season at home back on December 30th. I like this Detroit team. Dan Campbell's done a great job. Jared Goff plays good football. He's got weapons galore out of the backfield and all around him. And it's an underrated Detroit defense. The Rams can score. I think both teams are in the 30s. But I like Detroit, 34-31. The weekend of wildcard football's cap Monday night. Philly goes to Tampa Bay as a three-point favorite. This one was tough for a couple of reasons. Namely, because the Eagles' recent stretch of terrible football has, has been unwatchable. You can't, in, in a finale where you still have an outside shot at winning the division, if you win and Dallas loses, which didn't happen anyway, you can't go into Giant Stadium or MetLife Stadium and go down to a five-win team, 24-0. You can, that cannot happen. You cannot do that. After losing to a bad Arizona Cardinals team, it just cannot happen. And by the way, two weeks before that, they, they barely snuck by the Giants at home. So this is a Philly team that's reeling. They're not dead, but the wing is clipped. And the, outside of that, it was another another reason it was so tough to pick is because the Bucs don't really do anything to instill all that much confidence in you. Baker Mayfield's had a nice season. And with that, I think he'll step up. And I think Tampa Bay gets this thing done. I do. 27-24. And, and as crazy as this is, 27-24, I like Tampa Bay. Philadelphia season, if that happens, comes to an ending that was almost unthinkable two months ago when this team was 8-1. and And then you might have to start seriously thinking. Sean Desai, one of the coordinators there on the defensive side, who's going to be a name this offseason. Nick Sirianni. Not the best look for him that he loses his coordinators. Shane Steakin goes to the, to the Colts. Jonathan Gannon goes to the Cardinals, who come back and beat the Eagles. That Sirianni doesn't have those wingmen. What is his future? He deserves another crack. But if the Eagles lose Monday night to Tampa Bay, look, you're going to be shocked if Philly wins. Of course not. They've got too much talent. And I love Jalen Hurts. But if they lose, I, you would probably have to seriously consider the fact that the Sirianni run even two years removed from going to a Super Bowl and being a play away from winning it, could be over. It, it is something that is not out of the question. All right, so just to recap, wild card round, I like the Browns over the Texans in stunning and shocking fashion. I'm, I'm probably going to eat my words, but I like the Finns over the Chiefs in freezing sub-zero Kansas City. Buffalo over Pittsburgh up in Orchard Park. Dallas in a, in a close one over Green Bay. Lions squeak past the Rams at home. And then Tampa Bay, plus three, getting a three-point victory over the visiting Philadelphia Eagles. It's going to be a fun wild card weekend. It always is. So enjoy it. We'll come back and wrap up the show momentarily after a word from our sponsor. 
I'm Sensei Felicia. And I'm Sensei Mike Karim, and we are the owners and instructors of Dento Tekina, Judo Jiu-Jitsu, and MMA Dojo on Victory Boulevard in Santa Ana, New York. If you're looking to improve or refocus your overall physical and mental health, come join us on the mat where we offer a variety of classes from ages four and up for all experience levels. Whether you're interested in self-defense, learning the traditional Japanese fighting methods of Judo and Jiu-Jitsu, or taking our MMA conditioning courses, we have what you need to take your training methods to the next level. So come join us at Dento Tekina Judo Jiu-Jitsu and MMA Dojo on Staten Island. So you got Wild Card Weekend. You have everything that took place in college football. The coaching carousel going on there. Black Monday earlier in the week. It's been a wild week. Saban retires. Belichick parts ways in New England. Pete Carroll's out in Seattle. Kalen DeBoer gets the Alabama job. Just all systems go this week, right? You got the NFL playoffs underway. And then you've got everything else going on in the world of sports. And and it obviously this needed to be mentioned. Former Mets shortstop and manager Bud Harrelson, who was as tough as they came, passed away Thursday at the age of 79. Uh, look, you know, I'm, I'm 37. I was born in 86 when the Mets won their second title. Uh, but Harrelson was instrumental in that Miracle Mets 1969 team. He was their third base coach when they won the second title in 86. Uh, 15 years in the league, two-time All-Star. He's a light hitter, but had a very good glove. And what most people remember, and I had to go back to the archives here, hit the hit up the YouTube, Game 3, 1973 NLCS goes toe-to-toe in a brawl with Pete Rose. Pete Rose had about 35, 40 pounds on this guy. The fight got so bad, it stretched from the infield to the outfield. Both the Cincinnati Reds and Mets bench is clear. And then Harrelson doesn't back down in it at all. And Pete Rose, still to this day, an imposing guy. So Bud Harrelson, uh, in sad news there, a, a Met legend, is absolutely beloved in Queens uh, and, and, and across baseball on many levels, uh, passing away Thursday at the age of 79, staying in baseball. Yankees get much-needed depth in their starting rotation. And, and I think most people probably thought it might be elsewhere. Would it be a, a Blake Snell, who the Yankees are actively... Uh, talking to, according to a few reports, um, when they missed out on a, a couple of players from Japan, would they make a trade? Were they interested in Lucas Gilito, who went to the, the Boston Red Sox on a two-year deal? The Yankees, through all of that, come to an agreement on a two-year $37 million deal with native New Yorker, former Blue Jay Met and Cubs righty, Marcus Stroman. So if you look at Strowman, rib injury last year, but across his first 16 starts, the guy was solid. 2.28 ERA, 9-4. and four. Finished the year 10-9, 3-9-5 with uh, almost 140 innings pitched. The key there now with this Yankee rotation, they're not done building it, but you're looking at Garrett Coles, your ace, defending Cy Young Award winner, American League. Carlos Rodon coming off back injuries. Marcus Stroman now. Nesta Cortez recovered from injury last season and pitched well for most of the campaign. And Clark Schmidt, who I liked, pitched very well throughout the second half of the season after a tough start in what was his first duty as a, as a full-time Major League Baseball starter. Work to be done for the Yankees. Missed out on Yamamoto earlier in the season, in the offseason, when he signed that monster contract to follow Otani to the Dodgers. So there's work here for the Yankees to do, but I do think... I know Marcus Stroman rubs people the wrong way. I, I get the sentiment. But you need pitching, and you got it. All right, and perhaps some of the biggest news not coming from the core four sports, Tiger Woods, after 27 years, ending his partnership with Nike. 
I mean, you talk about being a brand ambassador. That was Tiger Woods for Nike. What he did for former Nike CEO Phil Knight and that company across almost three decades, unparalleled. Woods said during the week that the, the future unknown as far as branding, I mean, he's Titleist, Bridgestone, um, but the 48-year-old did stress that there was, quote, more to come. Uh, on the course, many think that Woods will be back um, fifth, uh, February 15th at the Genesis Invitational at Riviera. That's right around the corner in about four weeks. Um, so we, sh we should see Tiger back to competitive play. If you saw him playing with his son in the father-son a couple of weeks ago, guys, jacked. Might be in the best shape we've seen him from a, from a physical standpoint, and the guy's always been in shape. I mean, the traps, the back, the upper body looks just ridiculous. And it looks like he was hitting the ball well. But his partnership with Nike ends poetically, ends nicely, both moving on. We'll see what the future holds. I'm sure Nike's not going to... Though they have a tendency to rub certain people the wrong way, I don't think Nike's going to have too much of a problem uh, turning in the green, if you will, financially. All right, you know how to follow Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, iHeartRadio. Tune in. The list goes on and on. I've got a SoundCloud account now as well. Subscribe across those platforms across the board. I'll see everybody next week, regular time slot, Friday, January 19th at 7 p.m. Obviously, a special thanks to our sponsors at New York City's Dental Techinat Judo Jiu-Jitsu and MMA Dojo. Have a great week, everyone. Enjoy the NFL playoffs. And as always, you know it. Go Irish. Listen to Sports Today with Peter J. Every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. We'll see you there.